it's always a, a, a privilege to stand on this pulpit. Uh, anyone who's ever stood here knows that it's, there's, there's a line of people that can preach in this place. More coming, more just got here. There are people who can deliver the word in this place, so when you get a chance to deliver the word, uh, it's, a, it's a huge thing. Um, it's funny this, this how this works with me, and, I, and I've got to just tell you. When I get this bubbling up in me, I wait a while, and it just keeps coming, and finally I tell Pastor. But when you tell Pastor you got a word, you better ready, because he will pull the trigger. So I know I'm ready. When I tell him I'm ready, because he can say, now. So I told him, and right after I get through delivering this message, I'll walk away from here tonight and tomorrow. About one or two days into the next few days, I wonder, who do you think you are that you could get up there and tell anybody anything about such a beautiful, serious subject? What do you think qualifies you? And all that starts coming in on you. And I get to a point where... There's so many people in this church can deliver the word. I just don't. I'm gonna wait a long time before I do that again. I'm gonna let those guys because they're all good. I wonder what they thought of what I said. Well, it doesn't matter because I already did it. But I'm, I'm done. I'm gonna sit back and wait. And then, and then it'll come again. And it'll start bubbling up in me, and I can't stop it. You know, when your bones get charged up with this, you gotta step up and tell a pastor, and he pulls the trigger. Amen. So tonight, I want to talk to you. And I don't know who this is for except me. You can be assured this is for me. This message is for me. I'm living it. But also, it's got to be for somebody else, either here or somebody in that camera that's watching from wherever in the world that they go online, they download this. Whoever you are, wherever you are, I'm with you. We're in this together. And then the message tonight is titled, Changing Reality. Now, there are certain words, like you can see a word that says L-E-A-D. It could be lead or led. So changing reality is kind of like that. We are in the middle of the most incredible changing of realities that I've ever, ever experienced in my 60 years of this planet. Things are coming so fast, so hard, so amazingly uh, power-packed. Everywhere you look, there's something amazing happening every day. But the changing of the reality that I grew up with is just amazing. And I'm watching this, and my wife and I are talking about it, and some of us that have been through all this stuff talking, it's like, man, how do these young guys and gals, what, how does this affect them? Because it's just hitting us like a freight train. You know, it's so crazy. But what, what I'm talking about tonight with changing reality is not about how fast the reality around us is changing, although it is, very quickly. You have to beware, these are, these are treacherous times, leading to a treacherous place for people who don't obey God. But the word that I've got is about how to change your reality. So, so I've got this situation, and I don't know what to do. So what, what am I going to do? Who am I? I'm a human being. You know, what power? I have none. What do I do? What hope do I have? Well, because God has met me with his provision, time and time again, I know what I have to do. But as an American, I have a problem. I am fat, dumb, and happy. Because I've got to focus, I've got a 15-minute focus and a five-minute heart when I don't want to do something. When I don't want to concentrate, I'll find something to entertain me. And it's everywhere. TV, Facebook, play some worship music. That's good. But I will get myself distracted. I'll go get a 
soft drink. I'll do something. I'll take a walk. Everything but do what I'm supposed to do. So when I cry out to God, it's kind of sad if you look on the world scale and cry out to God. I can't even do it right. I'm so rich. I'm so taken care of. I'm so that dumb and happy that I don't know how to cry. I don't know how to cry out properly. Well, I'm in a situation right now where I gotta learn. I gotta learn to cry. So I've been looking up scriptures about it. Desperation. Desperation. God likes you to get there. And I kind of believe that's why he got me there. And it's good for me because it stretches me and it teaches me and it reminds me what this is really all about. So I go to examples of things that have stretched other people that I admire. And I want to share some of those with you today, tonight. Please turn with me to page 26 of Heavenly Man. Oh, wait. You don't have that book. This book was given to a lot of folks here in the church. This is Brother Yun, a Chinese brother. Uh, if you haven't read this book, man, this is powerful stuff. I've got this. i got Heavenly Man and Living Waters in the book and audio. I've been listening to it audio. It's just as powerful. Just as powerful either way. Brother Yun's testimony is amazing. I'd like to read to you just a little bit of this tonight. Because it kind of sets the pace for where, when we talk about crying, let's get real. So, you know, this when people read to me, I kind of lose track. Please don't wander. We're bad about that. We're ADD. Please just, I won't read too much. Just hang with me. Their father, Brother Young, lives in a very poor village. They have one set of clothes and they have patches on them. They have to beg for food because their father's been sick for several years. Their mother, uh, Brother Yan and his sisters, their father is so ill he can't work. Or they have to beg for food. He can't farm. It's a farming community. Very poor Korean, I mean, uh, Chinese people. So his mother um, is, she is illiterate. She cannot read. But she knows one thing. She gathers the kids up, and they're little, you know, about 10 years old and below. And she said, we're going to pray. And there's this man called Jesus. And Jesus is going to heal him because we're desperate. We're going to die. We're all going to pray. They all got together, and she taught them how to pray. They got in a little huddle around Dad in their little dirt floor shack, starving and cold, and they cried. They cried. The kids didn't even really know why. Brother Young didn't really know why, but Mom was crying, so they all cried. You ever cry around your kids? They'll start crying. They don't know why. Boy, they were all wailing and crying and crying and crying. And the guy got healed. Brother Young's father got healed. Brother Young's father was a soldier. He was a hard man. He had always told him two things. Never trust anybody and be hard to everybody you meet. Wow. This is a hard world. you got to top everybody you meet. you got to be stronger than them and hurt them. Make them respect you. He was a soldier who had been through horrible war. This was his attitude. He didn't believe in God, but he was crying. When they gathered around him, he was, he was dying. Wasted away from cancer. Got no doctors, got no medicine, got no hope. The kids are crying, the wife's crying, and he cried too, and God healed him. So Brother Young said, who is this Jesus guy? She, his mother told him. Uh, These were exciting times. Not only did I receive Jesus as my personal Savior, but I also became a person who really wanted to serve the Lord with all my heart. My mother had never learned to read or write, but she became the first preacher in our village. She led a small church in our house. Although my mom couldn't read, remember much of God's word, she always exhorted us to focus on Jesus. As we cried out to him, 
Jesus helped us in his great mercy. As I look back on those early days, I'm amazed at how God used my mother despite her illiteracy and her ignorance. The direction of her heart was totally surrendered to Jesus. Okay, first thing. You can be deaf, dumb, and blind and stupid, but if you'll surrender your heart to Jesus, totally, you're there. Okay, that's what you got to do first. Some of today's great house church leaders in China first met the Lord through my mother's ministry, a woman who couldn't read, never read the Bible. At first, I didn't really know who Jesus was, but I'd seen him heal my father and liberate our family. I confidently committed myself to God, who had healed my father and saved us. During that time, I frequently asked my mother who Jesus truly was. She told me, Jesus is the Son of God who died on the cross for us. Taking all our sins and sicknesses, he recorded all of his teachings in the Bible. I asked her if there were any words of Jesus' left that I could read for myself. She replied, no, all his words are gone. There's nothing left of his teaching. She didn't even know there's Bibles out there, but she believes in all with all her heart. Yeah. This was during the Cultural Revolution when Chairman Mao was in charge and all Bibles were gone. They could not be found. But Chairman Mao's little red book had to be in your house, but the Bible could get you killed. I asked if there were any words of Jesus left that I could read for myself. She replied, no, all his words are gone. There's nothing left of his teaching. From the day that I heard that, I earnestly wanted to have a copy of my own Bible. I asked my mother and fellow Christians what a Bible looked like, but no one knew. How many people in here have a Bible tonight? There you go. Look at what we got, man. First, you have to be totally committed and sold out to Jesus. So no matter what happens, you're going to go to him. Secondly, look what he's given us. Look what wealth we have sitting right here. Man. One person had seen some hand-copied scripture portions and song sheets, but never a whole Bible. Only a few old believers could recall seeing Bibles many years before. The word of God was scarce in the land. I was so hungry for a Bible. Seeing my desperation, my mother remembered an old man who lived in another village. This man had been a pastor during the Cultural Revolution. Together, we started out on a long walk to his home. When we found him, we told him our desire. We longed to see a Bible. Do you have one? He immediately looked fearful. This man had already spent nearly 20 years in prison for his faith. He looked at me and saw that I was so young and poor with tattered clothes and bare feet, and he felt compassion. But still, he didn't want to show me his Bible. I don't blame him, because in those days, there were very few Bibles in the whole of China, and nobody was allowed to read them. The old pastor simply told me, the Bible is a heavenly book. If you want one, you'll need to pray to the God of heaven. Only he can provide you a heavenly book. God is faithful. He always answers those who seek him with all their heart. I fully trusted the pastor's words. When I returned home, I went out to the yard and got a stone and brought it to my room. And I knelt down on it every evening for prayer. I had just one simple prayer. Lord, please give me a Bible. Amen. Amen. At that time, I didn't know how to pray. But I continued for more than, more than one month. I can't, I can't go 15 minutes without looking at the weather channel. He cried out, laying his head on a rock every night for a month. Nothing happened. The Bible didn't appear. I went back to that pastor's house again. This time I went alone. I said, hey, look, I've prayed to God according to your instructions, but I still haven't received the Bible I want so much. Please show me your Bible. Just a glance and I'll be satisfied. I don't need to touch it. You can hold it, and I'll be content just to look at it. 
If I could just copy down some of the words, I will return home happy. The pastor saw the anxiety in my heart. He spoke to me again. If you're serious, then you should not only kneel down and pray to the Lord, but you should also fast and weep. The more you weep, the sooner you'll get a Bible. So we've got to go back the long walk back thinking, i got to go weep. I went home, and every morning and afternoon, I ate and drank nothing. Every evening, I ate just one small bowl of steamed rice. I cried like a hungry child to his heavenly Father. I wanted to be filled with his word. For the next 100 days, I prayed for a Bible until I could bear it no more. My parents were sure I was losing my mind. Looking back years later, I would say that this whole experience was the most difficult thing I've ever endured. If, you, if you've ever read this book, that blew my mind. Yeah. This guy had his legs broke. He was had electric baton stuff down his throat. I mean, he's had, this was the hardest thing because he didn't get a Bible. He had a vision of a steep hill, and he was pushing a big load up this hill, going to the city to beg for food. And three men coming towards him came and asked him what he was doing. And they had a, in the vision, they had some red cloth, and they opened it up, and there was some bread in it. And he, they said, are you hungry? He said, I'm starving. I'm going to the village to beg. And they said, here, take a bite. And when the bread hit his mouth, it turned into a Bible. And he woke up. He woke up, went outside, and the three men were coming to his house. They were the same people in the vision. I woke up and started searching the house for the Bible. The rest of my family was asleep. The vision was so real to me that when I realized it was only a dream, I was deeply anguished and wept aloud. My parents again thought I was losing my mind. Dear Lord, have mercy on my son. Please don't let him lose his mind. I'm willing to be sick again, his father said. If you'll let him not lose his mind, please forgive my son and give him a Bible. Suddenly I heard a faint knock at the door. A very gentle voice called my name. I rushed over and asked the locked door, are you bringing the bread to me? The gentle voice replied, yes, we have a bread feast for you. I immediately recognized the voice as the same one I heard in the vision. I quickly opened the door, and there standing before me were the same two servants I'd seen in the vision. One man, held, one man held a red bag in his hand, and my heart raced as I opened the bag and held in my hands my very own Bible. The two men quickly departed in darkness. I clutched my new Bible to my heart, fell down on my knees outside the door, thanked God again and again, promised Jesus from that moment on I would devour his word like a hungry child. Later I found out the names of those two men. They came from a village far away and had heard about me from someone else. They both suffered terribly in the Cultural Revolution and nearly died while being tortured, but they were willing to bring a Bible to a man who really... The word was out. This kid's not going to shut up. He's been 100 days. He's eating one bowl of rice a day. Let's bring him a Bible. So... Brother Yun went on. Eric's preached it. We've all read this. They've had the man memorized. He started memorizing chapters of the Bible until he probably memorized all of it. And later, because of his faith, because of his preaching God's word, he was thrown into prison. And he wrote out to everyone outside the prison, I'm doing fine. Don't worry about me. There's great need in here. Jesus needs to be here, and I'm going to preach the word, and I'll be out when Jesus says I'll be out. And he goes on and he kept getting thrown back in prison. They did horrible things to him. But because he was faithful, because he cried out, because he did not give up, because his mother taught him that this Jesus will save you, and he saw the proof of it. How many of us have seen the proof of this? Yeah, all of us were here. Jesus has saved every one of us and changed every one of us to who we are now. Not who we were then, but who we are now. 
We've been given that gift. We've experienced this life. We didn't even cry out that hard. Look what Jesus gave us. But Brother Young is a very powerful man and will bring many to the Lord before he dies. I've learned a lesson from Brother Young. I'm going to try harder. I'm going to cry harder. I'm going to cry like a hungry child because I'm getting hungry. Let's talk about somebody else near and dear to my heart is Caleb, who was with the Israelites when they came out of Egypt. He's probably about 40 years old at the time, 45. Turn with me to Joshua 14. The sixth verse. Now the men of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, and said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man at Kadesh Barnea, about you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land, and I brought him back a report according to my convictions. But my brothers who went with me made the hearts of the people melt with fear. I, however, followed the Lord wholeheartedly, the Lord my God, wholeheartedly, so that on that day Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever, because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Now, Caleb's up around 85 years old now. He's waited 40 years while everybody wandered around the desert that didn't want to go in there and take the land. And all those people have died off. And now we're about to go into the land. And he's walking up to remind people, this 85-year-old guy, hey, you remember when Moses said that to me? Because I sure do. If you look in verse 10, now then, just as the Lord has promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses while Israel moved about in the desert. So here I am today, 85 years old. I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out into battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard that he, that the Anakites were there. Those are the giants. Remember, we've been studying about that, the Nephilim. You yourself heard those giants were there. The Israelites were little people. They didn't get a lot to eat. They weren't real big. But boy, they were fierce. We probably look like giants to them. And their cities were large and fortified, but the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. Then Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and gave him Hebron as his inheritance, verse 13. Now, I may have to wait. I can call upon the Lord. I can cry out. Now, Brother Young's taught me how to cry. I can be fierce about it. I can be relentless about it. I can be committed to it. But I might have to wait a while. Just because God doesn't come running when I call out doesn't mean he's not coming. It may take 40 years. I may be 85, but he said he would do it. Amen. And if he says he'll do it, I will be just as fit that day to take the land as I am now. Amen. And he will give me that land as my inheritance. I have called out to him. Amen. He has promised me, and it will be mine. Amen. Now, that's not a name and claim it prosperity gospel, but I have to stand on something. I have to stand on something. I'll stand where this man stood. I'll stand with Caleb, a mighty warrior, an honest man who told the truth. Even if the other people around him didn't like what he said, he said, he, they were over there. He stepped over here and said, hey, we can take those people. I'm not with these guys. 
I don't know who they saw, but I could take the ones I saw. They outvoted him. What do you think he did for those 40 years while he waited? I'll bet you he trained up warriors. <laughs> he knew he was taking that land one day. I'll bet you he taught people how to shoot bows, throw rocks. I bet he raised up a bunch of people around him. One day we're taking the land. Because he didn't go on, on a horse by himself when he went out to take that, when God gave it to him. He raised up people around him to go with him. Sure. He said, we're going to get this one day. Let's, this is God's word. He promised it. Learn how to use that bow. Boy, you better learn how to throw a rock. When they come, you do this. When they go, you do that. And when he said go, people went with him. They saw the word come true in his life. He held out. He cried out to the Lord. God provided it. And then he had to take it. So I have to be patient. When God says go, I can't falter. My heart can't get weak or scared because I'm dealing with giant oil companies or I'm dealing with giant boat companies. I'm dealing with giant anything. Who are they? My God says I'm just as big as they are. In fact, he's going to show them. Come on, man. He put me here for a reason. Amen. It's kind of scary, but there's a reason. Now, Brother Yun had great character. And he he performed out there what he, he learned and where he learned it. Caleb had great character, which never faltered his whole life. He took the land. His inheritance was his, and he got it. But we don't see in the Word that there were any big character flaws with these two guys. We don't see Brother Young's character. All the people in the Audible book, there's people who are talking in there who are witnesses to what he did. They recorded their testimony about him, which is very cool. In the Bible, there's nothing bad said about Caleb. Not one thing. It says he was faithful and he did it. Now, there is a guy in the Word, who Jesus knew that was a man after God's own heart, and his name was David. <coughs> David came onto the scene and killed a big, bad giant who was cursing Israel as a boy. You got to know there's great things in store for this guy, because that day the Philistine army ran and routed and Israel chased them down and killed them all. When they'd been sitting behind a barrier watching this big guy come out every day and curse him and scared to get him, and this kid went out there and popped him. Took him down and cut off his head, and everybody chased all those guys down and got him. And then he kind of, you see him kind of, you know, it's not the center of attention for a while, but God's got a plan for him. So God brings him into his own. Now, when he comes into the king's palace, King Saul loves him, but he's troubled by him. Because there's a spirit, a deceiving spirit that God has placed in this man because of his deceptive attitude against David. David never rebels against this man. He's had opportunities to kill this guy. He says, I will not touch God's anointing. You should take that to heart. Of the good things that man David did, that king who's in the line of Jesus, who God says that a man will sit on the throne of David and rule Israel and will be Jesus the Messiah, that man said, I will not touch God's anointing. You should take that seriously. Be very careful and considerate how you touch God's anointing. If you don't know what anointing is, ask somebody. Find out. If you want anointing, cry out 100 days and eat a bowl of rice every day. But if you, if you don't understand anointing, you should, you should consider carefully how you treat God's anointing. 
It's a very important thing. But this man, David, was a human. Where he had done these incredible things as a boy, he goes out and says, I'll take you today. Boom, got him. And where Saul threatened his life and tried to kill him and he had opportunities to kill the king, no, uh-uh, I'm not touching God's anointing. Holiness, that's holiness, that's obedience. That's being what you're supposed to be. He was still a man. And he had a weakness that a lot of men had. He saw a woman bathing on a rooftop that was not his wife. And he wanted her. And he sent for her. And he took her. And then when her husband came home, the guy was so loyal. He was such a sweet guy. Slept at David's doorway. Wouldn't even go home and sleep in his bed. No, I want him to sleep in my bed while the men are at war. I'll sleep on the floor. David sent him out to be killed. It was implicit in the orders that he gave to his generals. Put him out to the front and then back away from him. Might as well just killed him himself. He had the courage to face him and do it himself, but he didn't. He, this man with this anointing, this man with his courage, this man with God's power all over him that brought Israel together as a nation, who Jesus will sit on his throne one day, decided to take another man's wife and kill him. Anybody in here ever kill anybody? That's about as bad as it gets. Anybody in here done something they're not proud of? Something that they know they wouldn't want to really tell anybody about? I have. But this man did it in front of the whole nation of Israel. And the prophet Nathan came to him. God sent him and said, what would you do if somebody took a man's property and did this and that to him? And David said, well, you have to restore it fourfold. And, you know, Quoting in the law, Nathan said, and David was like, who is this guy? Nathan said, you are the man. From that moment, David still had the anointing of God upon him, but from that moment, God's wrath came upon him. That baby that was conceived in that illicit affair, God killed on the seventh day after it was born. And David wept and cried. Now, David's committed murder and adultery in front of the nation, and the whole nation was really disappointed, I'm sure, because this is the guy. This is the guy we're all looking for. And so the prophet Nathan, everybody knows when the prophet goes to visit the king, that's not good. He's coming out there, and David's in there ripping his clothes and falling down on his face. This ain't good. The whole nation's like, oh, man, this is our leader. What are we going to do? But what David did next shows David's heart, and it's why that God would say that David is a man after his own heart. Now, God didn't say you should go do all these ugly things, but here's why David was a man after God's own heart. Turn with me to 1 Samuel. Excuse me, I'm sorry. Turn with me to Psalms 51. Psalms 51. In 1 Samuel 13, 14, Saul is told that David will take over his kingdom. And after removing Saul, he made David their king, and he testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. This is what God said. 
Psalm 51, verse 1. David is now crying out, and he says, Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion. Blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me and clean me from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night against you, and you alone I have sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. Because I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me, but you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. Verse 7, purify me from my sins, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. You're going to screw this up. You're going to make terrible mistakes. You're going to make judgment errors. You're going to wish to God you had never done it. But when you do, there's a way that God will come to you if you will come to him. And you have to come to him with this contrite heart. This is why God said, this is a man I can honor. Because he came and he fell on his face and he said, you, you have the power to cleanse me. You have the power to change me. I have done an awful thing. You alone, if you will, you can change me. Lord, do not banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. That's the most fearful thing that will ever happen to a human being. If you go out to the edge too far and you don't cry out to God for His deliverance and His change, He will take His Holy Spirit from you. And then you'll wish you were dead. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Make me willing to obey you. Then I will teach your ways to the rebels and they will return to you. When you do this, when you mess up and you come back to God and He restores you, Go tell somebody. Now you have authority. Hey, I made that mistake. Come with me. I'm going to teach you how to fight these giants. We're going to go take that land. Let's build an army to go fight it. Where other people are suffering from this. At abortion clinics where they don't know. There's a bar down Highway 45 that I saw going to work the other day. And forever, this place is named Heartbreaker. Where Houston is selling their daughters. And every time I pass there, some church, different church, gets the billboard right behind it and said, God heals broken hearts. And, he all, and that thing is very seldom, over the years I've seen that thing not said that. And every, all kinds of churches do it, and they put the same message right behind that big billboard. I love it. Because they know. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Make me willing to obey you. Then I will teach your way to the rebels. Forgive me for shedding blood, O God, who saves. Then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, Lord, that my mouth may praise you. Did God do that for David? Amen. He did. Now, David's household suffered pain from the day this happened until he died. His children rebelled against him. God gave his wives away. He said, I'm going to give your wives away. Watch this. In daylight. You did it in dark. I'm going to do it in daylight. God will repay you. What you do in darkness, God will repay you where everybody can see it. You have to be careful who you're dealing with. This is not a man. This is the living God. And he says in 16, you do not desire a sacrifice or an offer one. Well, you know, when you do this, you can't go through some money in the tithe box and say, well, man, none of that. You have to stop doing it. You have to be obedient. I'm preaching to me. I have to be obedient. Now, where I have to work on is I say God is in this with me. I proclaim God is in this with me, and I haven't really even talked to him about it yet. I'm confessing that to you. 
I jump right out there, and I haven't gotten down on my knees, and I haven't taken that anointing oil, and I haven't really prayed. Today I did it. Today I stopped what I was doing, and I did it. Well, you know, what's it been, a month? So it took me a month, but I did it. So from here on out, I'm building my house on a firm foundation. I built houses on sand before. They got washed away, and it should have been. It deserved to be. It was not built on the word. It was not built on the rock. I deserve that. I'm not going to go there. I'm not drinking that bitter water again. Ever, ever again. For me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen. Amen. I'm going to run this thing until I drop. Now, when you've got hard times, what do you, how do you act? Are you downtrodden? Is your face real sad? Tell everybody how sad you are. Tell everybody your troubles all the time. Or do you sing praises? <laughs> let me take you and beat you. Let me take you when you go to the abortion clinic. Let me handcuff you beat you out there in front of the abortion clinic so everybody can see you, strip you down and give you 39 lashes, and then throw you in prison. Not only in a prison, but in the middle of the prison, in shackles. What are you going to do around midnight? Hmm. Praises. Turn with me to Acts 16, 25, 27. Man, you're quick. You knew where I was going, didn't you? About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. When you're in your difficulties, you're in the mully grubs, when you're in the trench, and you've been beat, not even for something you did. Somebody doesn't like you, and they beat you, and you're singing praises at midnight. Somebody's listening to you. Other people listen to you. They hear you. You're supposed to be God's word incarnate. You're supposed to be walking and talking it so other people know it. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundation of the prison was shaken and all at once the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. Did that happen? Yes. Is there anything in here that says, but that's the only time it ever happened and it never happened again? No. There's no born on date. There's no quantity uh, that you can have where you can't have anymore. It can happen anywhere to us. We can be these people singing hymns in prison in the middle of the night. Amen. When we go to foreign countries and we're not treated well, there's a good chance that in Romania you might not get treated well. There's a good chance in Mexico in the coming days when we go there again, right after Romania, by the way, this church, boy, I tell you, you might not get treated well. If you get mistreated, how are you going to act? If you get mistreated on your job, if you get mistreated in the supermarket, if you get mistreated anywhere, are you going to sing praises so that they know who you are? Because that's what I have to do. I, you've got to be able to spot me in a crowd. I've got to do that. That's got to be my walk. That's got to be my life. That's or I won't make it out of here. I won't make it out of here. I've got to make it out of here. And I say out of here. I mean my sinful nature. I mean I want to walk with Jesus. I want to see him face to face. I want to talk to him. I want to hug him. Amen. I want to dance with him. Amen. Man, you know that guy can dance for him. I want to sing with him. I want to hear notes of music that I've never heard before. I want to see colors that I've never seen before. I want to just live with Jesus forever. But I will not get there unless I praise him 
Because he wants that. He will knock the doors open for me. He will have an earthquake for me. He will set me free. It happened for them. It'll happen for me. I'm going to do it. Now, let's say, let's say you really get trouble. Let's say a member of your close personal relations that you've known for a long time has a very troubling dream about somebody very near dear to you, close to you, that you love. And you come upon this dream, hear about it. Maybe the relative the dream was about tells you about it. And you're troubled to your core. You're troubled deep in your heart. And you cry out, Oh God, no, not this. Then you back up and you say, Okay. Okay, this. But why? How? And you cry out so deeply that God of the universe and His Son Jesus come and get you. And they take you to the throne room of God. And they tell you how this wall happened. Just like you saw in the Bible where Paul said, I knew a man who was taken up in the third heavens saw a thing so beautiful that I can't speak of it. What if that God took you there where Paul stood and opened up the scrolls for you? And while you were watching indescribably beautiful things, you saw a throne and you saw a trumpet sitting there. That's a special trumpet. It's only going to be blown once and it's going to end this what if your God loved you so much that he took you there and he showed you that? That happened to Jennifer, our pastor's wife. Because a friend had a dream about pastor that he was going to be martyred out on the mission field. That will make you cry out. But are you going to get depressed and molly grub? Are you going to, woe is me? No. You go deep. Deep cries out to deep. You go deep. You cry out to the living God. He will take you while you're standing here singing one night into his throne room and he will comfort you and he will give you his grace which is sufficient to bring you to the end of days with joy. I can say this because I've witnessed it. I've seen this happen to someone very dear to me, Jennifer, Stephen. Have you ever known anybody else that got taken to the throne room? I haven't. I read about it when Paul talked about it. Why do you think Paul got taken there? He was under duress. He was trying to figure it out. And he called out to God. He said, show me. Show me something. I'm having a hard time. And what he showed Paul was enough for Paul to run the race. You read what he said. You read what Paul wrote. You, I can't imagine. It's so powerful and beautiful and so well-written and so intelligent. You, every time I read it, I'm so amazed and impressed and humbled. How do you think he got that? Jesus gave it to him. And Jesus stayed with him right up to his last breath. And 
and he's dancing with Jesus right now. So when I get in trouble, when my heart is hurt bad, and the word that I've received is not good, I'm going to sing in prison. I'm going to cry out to the Lord, and he will answer me. He is faithful. Amen. He will hear me. He will provide for me. He will not leave me. He will not abandon me. Until I meet him, he will take care of me. And I will be faithful. And I will be obedient. And I will ask him if I mess up. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Please, Lord. Please, Lord. And if the word that I get is so severe that I can't live underneath the weight of it, I will call out to him with my heart because I've seen him be faithful to my friends who I love. Amen. I didn't hear this. I saw it. What does it take? Man. So, there's something that we need to we need to look at real quick. And, and the reason I, you know, I really, when I get these words sometimes, it happens. Uh, Sunday, Eric preached on it. Monday night, it was in, in, in the home meeting. Uh, and it just we kept, uh, yep, I'm getting it. Yep, that's it. Eric touched on this Monday night. Let's turn to Revelation 4, verse 4. And after this I looked, and this is John, the Apostle John, who's been given this vision where he's taken into the throne room of God. Okay, Paul, John, Jennifer. I never met those two. I've met one. The third one I know. Look, this is amazing stuff. It's happening right in front of our eyes in this small church right here in this body. This man went to the same place Jennifer Stevens went. Think about that. You can't comprehend it. After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. Verse 2. Am I in the right place? Because I started with a forward open at 2. <coughs> at once I was in the Spirit. And before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, a rainbow resembling an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. Jennifer saw those elders around the throne. She said there were about 20 of them. They were sitting on thrones. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. Before the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also before the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center, around the throne, were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. And the first living creature was a lion, the second was an ox, third had the face of a man, the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings, were covered with eyes all around, even under his wings. And day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is Amen. and is to come. Amen. Revelation 8, 3. Another angel who had a golden censer came up and stood at the altar. This is a holy place. This is the holiest place. The living God is there. 
Another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. He had much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. The smoke of the incense together with the prayers of the saints went up before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it upon the earth. And there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Right after that, the sounds, the trumpets start to blow, the seven trumpets, and they signal the end of the age. So, now I know. God wants me to search him seriously, like Brother Young. Seriously go after him. Quit being ADD and wanting to turn on the TV and the radio and everything else and stop it and focus until he shows up and shows me, gives me the bread of life that I need. And I don't, it was a Bible for him. It could be something else for me or you. But it's going to be something that we need. Right, Brent? It's going to be something he brings you here for. It's something he's going to give you. You're going to know it. He's going to show you. You're going to see it. I have to be obedient like Caleb. If I get bad news and I'm told to wait, that's all right. I'm going to start building an army. And we're going to throw some rocks at you when we get through. <laughs> when I finally do get in there, I'm going to kick you. Then, if I mess up, there's a way for me to come back to God. He will, he will listen to me if I, if I humble myself and I tell him what I've done and I repent and I don't do it again. He's faithful to keep me alive. There may be consequences. You may have to walk out. I've got some of those. They talk about when you plant a seed, you reap what you sow. Some of those crops take a long time to come in. You should be very considering, you're very careful to consider your seeds you plant. They may not come up right away, but when they do come up, it may take a long time to knock them down if they're the weeds, if they're the tares that grow up inside the wheat and you can't tell the two apart until till the wheat gets the wheat on it. There's the other thing right in the middle, the enemy place there. It might take a long time to be able to separate your crop from the weeds. You want to be careful what you plant. And then... If I'm faithful to remember the things that God has taught me, and I cry out to Him in my pain, if I get to a place that I just can't handle, He might send His angel to get me and show me, hey, there's something going on in me. So look, this is going to work out. Because I know I've seen this. And then, this word, John, the apostle, was brought into the throne room of heaven to record this, to tell us what our prayers will do. Our prayers are being gathered, cherished, kept. And they're going to be taken and mixed with incense from heaven. And that incense will go up into God's nostrils. He's going to give a signal to an angel who's going to take it and hurl it down and stop this nasty world thing that's going on. Whether that's now, whether that's in the future, whether we're here or not, it's going to happen. And if you read on in Revelation, man, after trumpet after trumpet blow and all this stuff starts coming down, there's ones who still will not stop what they're doing. They will not repent. They will not stop their sexual immorality. They will not stop worshiping demons. They are 
amazingly crazy. Because he's hurling plagues and pestilence down upon the earth. We are not the people that that has to happen to. Our hearts have been softened by the word of God. His living word is water to our spirits. We have been changed to a new being, a new human, human being, who we are now that we were not before. We have now been allowed to come into his throne room. And we are allowed to stay there as family if we are obedient. And that's very encouraging to me. Amen. Amen. Is that a good word? Steve, I so enjoyed that. Changing reality begins with a total surrender. Matthew 16 says, If any man would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. A total surrender. Willing to die. He said, You must be like a hungry child, Steve said. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. If you don't hunger, you don't get filled. Matthew 5 teaches us that. You must be willing to wait. In Revelation 6, when we get to that fifth seal, the souls of the men under the altar say, How long, O Lord, must we wait? He said, Until the full number of your brothers comes in. We wait as long as it takes, friends. A contrite heart, Steve said we must have. He read a Psalm 51. A contrite heart we must have, devoid of your own plans, crushed, deflated. All you want is to be filled with God's plans for your life. Paraphrasing, Steve said, you have to stop getting out in front of God. You have to stop leading Him and be led by Him. Romans 8 teaches us as many as are led by the Spirit are the sons of God. He used Acts 16 to say you better begin to praise. Whether you're chained in inner stocks, uh, beaten, you begin to praise, praise changes your situation. He brought us to the book of Revelation to begin to talk to us about the throne of God to teach us one message, endure. By the way, the answer is what would you do if you found out that a loved one's life may be offered for the Lord on a mission field? The answer to that question, does anybody know what it is? You schedule more mission trips. That's what you do. You laugh in the face of the enemy and you set a budget that is something like ten or fifteen thousand dollars, and in the first quarter of the year you spend thirty. That's what you do. You rush and hurry to meet your destiny because it cannot come a day before God has ordained it. But you do not shy away from it. We long for the opportunity to give our lives for the Lord. That's not because we're weird suicide bombers. It's because our lives already belong to Him. It belongs to We're His servants. Last, I wanted to mention to you Deuteronomy 8. I think Deuteronomy 8 is a fitting scripture. He says, I caused you to hunger. And then I fed you. In order to humble you and test you so that I would know what was in your hearts. And to teach you that man does not live on bread, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Amen. How do you change your reality? You live for His word like Brother you live for bread. Amen? Amen. So I have some announcements that I don't usually make, but I want to. I want to make them. I usually keep you in the dark about these things because it's possible that if you tell people who is coming to speak and when they're coming to speak, that some will go, well, I like that one and I don't like that one. And and you get these carnal reactions. But I think more highly of you than that. 
Brother Curtis is going to bring us a word Wednesday. You said, well, you know, Curtis is kind of new here. He's bringing a word. That's right. Curtis, you know why? He said he had a word. Come on, brothers, it's that easy. It's that easy. So, but what if Curtis says I'm wrong? Well, we're family. We're family. I love him. I'm excited. And I can't, I think it's a great way to get to know somebody. Amen? Amen. Yeah, Curtis said he may have a word sometime. I said, this Wednesday. He said, not this Wednesday. That's my Wednesday. The Wednesday after that, Brother Rick is preaching. He just doesn't know it because I'm telling him right now. All right. Rick's got an amazing testimony. You're going to be benefited here. It's going to benefit him to give it. Amen. Friends, we need to look forward to these things. You need to want to know what Curtis has to say. You need to ask God to fill his mouth with the right things to say. We need to get out of the idea of this strange sort of idolatry that is lifting up a pastor. The reality is in the early church, the membership brought the messages. The pastor sat back and listened to make sure it was right. The week after Rick, uh, Cassidy is going to preach. Yeah. Uh, we're not doing that because I'm a lazy man. We're not doing that because I don't like to preach. It's hard for me to give up each and every time. It really is. We are doing that because the Word of God is the Word of God, no matter who it comes from. A testimony is best displayed in a multiple group of people. You know, if one man shares all the time, you say, well, that's how it works for him. But what are you going to do when your brothers tell you about the glories of God? Are you going to say it's just for them? Come on. This is to encourage us. It's a sign of a healthy church. Uh, we're going to close. We're going to close now. Y'all uh, pray for Curtis. Pray for Rick. Uh, Rick brand new in our church, and he just found out in a public setting he's speaking. <laughs> One of the reasons I love Rick, though, is I know he'll do what I've asked because it's a godly thing. I, I know that. And if he wouldn't before, he will now. <laughs> Y'all stand your feet. Let's pray.